0: Hey, my name is Chad. I'm one of the youngsters here. And, man, I'm just so glad that you made the decision to be here tonight. And, uh, man, we're, uh, we're so excited about where we're headed the next few weeks. And, Um, And if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to find the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. If you have a tough time with finding that book, just ask somebody close by you. It's actually the first book in the Bible. It's a Hebrew word that means book of beginnings. And we're going to look in the book of Genesis tonight. We're going to be all over the map. And so, uh, man, y'all just follow along the the type a in the room. Uh, I apologize up front uh, because we'll be kind of running all over the place. But, man, so excited where we're headed. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, singleness. singles in the house tonight yeah right yeah woo! (laughs) and so um, we're gonna talk about singleness and what God has to say about singles which is incredible Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, men any men in the room oh oh, yeah yeah all right we're gonna talk about biblical manhood Um, so we're bringing in William Wallace for that night it's gonna be great and then uh, any women in the house tonight yeah! Right, we we'll to be talking about biblical womanhood as well, but tonight, as we kick off the service, go ahead and lower the lights a little bit. We're talking about the talk, the most awkward talk you probably ever had with your mom or dad. We're talking about sex. Okay, you can bring the lights back on. That's just weird. All right, bring them back up. All right, whoa, whoa. Some are like, oh. Anyway, we're going to talk about sex tonight. And I'm so excited because God has a lot to say about sex. And before we get there, anybody love hot water? Any hot water lovers in the house? Yeah, thank God for hot water. Like, I mean, you, anytime you ever been without hot water, you realize how good hot water is. But hot water, like, it's good, but as long as hot water stays in its place, it's good. Over the holiday, I got to travel back to Texas. It's where my wife and I are from, and we went to uh, see some family. We were staying with her parents, and their, their water heater is right in the middle of the house. Now, they've got a pretty nice house, um, but the water heater right in the middle of the house, we were hanging out with family, and... And uh, we hear like this water just running and then there's an alarm that starts going off. And anytime time uh, something mechanical happens, I, I typically just blame my wife. Don't judge me for that. I'm trying to get over that. Like I hear something, I'm like, Chelsea, what'd you do now? You know, and anyway, this time she wasn't at fault. We thought that she had set off a smoke alarm somehow with steam from the water. I'm not real sure. Anyway, we go back there and there is gallons and gallons of hot water running all over their house. And they've got like the really nice wood floors and they got nice animal rugs. That are laid out on the floor, and all this really nice furniture that are dad made in water, hot water is running out of the water heater. Somebody say, Uh oh. Yeah, not a good thing. And so immediately we we jump into action, and so we say bye, you know, to the family real quick, and we start getting towels out, sopping up the mess. We get the wet dry back out, we cut the water off to the house, and we save the wood floors. We change the water heater out, and we save it all, and we save the day. And it was amazing. And I love hot water as long as it's in the water heater. Like hot water, it's this great gift that was given to us, and. But it has its place. And when hot water gets out of the water heater, it can cause a ton of damage. We were thinking, we were like, man, thank the Lord we were here. You know, like, what would have happened? Because we were, we had just got back in town, like, the day before. Like, what if this would have happened yesterday or even earlier today? We had been driving. We're like, man, the whole house would have been flooded. All this hot water that was so precious and so good, you just sit under the hot water in the shower. Now it's all over the house. It's ruined Everything. Sex is a lot like hot water. Sex is one of these things, it's this incredible gift, but it has its place. And and when it gets out of its place, it can cause a lot of destruction, and it can be very, very dangerous. And I know some of you are like, oh, here we go, time out. You know, somebody throw the the party foul flag up. Man, Chad, come on, you just going to tell us that, you know, sex, this Bible thing, and purity, and true love waits, and all of this stuff. Yes. I am, but let me tell you why. First of all, I mean, I don't have to give y'all stats for you to know this, but sex and relationships, man, they're not working, are they? Sex and relationships, we know that the kind of teeters around 50% of marriages end in divorce, but if you're living together, some of y'all come here tonight, and we're glad you're here, and you've chosen to move in with each other. It's a very common thing in our culture, and, and so, you know, I think about I think 63% of millennials, they think that having sex before you're married, totally normal, totally fine, and it's part of our culture. And so a lot of people, they choose to move in with each other. It makes sense financially. It makes sense conveniently. But what happens when you move in with each other, you are at a 250 times greater possibility of divorce. And so you think, isn't it funny how we think like we're just going to move in with each other and then that will help us kind of, you know, try before you buy and help us kind of work things out and, and, you know, we'll just kind of figure out if we're compatible and that sort of thing. And so we move in and then we're at a 250 times greater likelihood of not, not even staying together. Um, if you were to take 100 couples in, in, that had chosen to live with each other, before they were married, and to you know, I, I'm assuming if you're living with each other, you're you're probably gonna be having sex with one another. Um, it, it doesn't make sense if you don't, anyway. And so you're you've moved in with each other and you're probably, you know, that sort of thing. And um, but what what's research tells us is that 90% of couples that move in with each other, they never make it. They never get married. And so 10% of those couples, so 10 out of the hundred. That get married, eighty percent of those within the first five years divorce. And so, imagine we had a hundred couples up here that chose to live together; two people would be, would remain standing. And so, I don't have to give y'all a ton of more stats to, for you to know and for you to admit, man, sex is just not working. But there's this ancient ethic, this sex ethic that God gives us in this ancient piece of literature that we believe is inspired by God Almighty. And so we're going to look into God's word is what we like to call it. And we're going to see what God has to say about sex because sex, and I can get an amen here, sex is an important thing in our lives. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Sex is a very important thing in our lives, and, and I want to encourage you guys not to look outside of our culture and think about, you know, what, what kind of things I should be doing because we've boiled sex down to technique in our culture. We're a hook-up, friends-with-benefits-type culture, and I get validation when I'm in bed with somebody, or, or not to look in. We're, we're so guilty of being in this romantic culture that we want to find a man that will Be whatever you want. You just tell me what you want, and I'll be it. You know, that Noah-type guy, right? He doesn't exist, okay? Um, There's no Jerry Maguire's. There's no Noah's from the Notebook. Um, And so, but we look, because we bought into this idea that Disney sold us, that we can, like, look within, and and our life begins to matter, like, a few days before we meet our Prince Charming. That's what Disney told us, right? And then, and then our life pretty much is over. Like the best part of our story is when we actually get married to Prince Charming and then we live happily ever after. It's like this apocalyptic romance is what our story is for most of us. But life is so much more. And so, I want to invite you to look at the book of Genesis, and we're going to uh, encourage you guys not to look out, not to look in, but to begin to look up because God has a lot to say. Now, before we get into the text, excuse me, I want to start by uh, just throwing out some myths about sex, real quick, okay? We're going to have a little bit of fun. Here's some myths about sex. So, here's myth number one Um, if you eat oysters, sushi, and dark chocolate, um, that's going to really help you in in regards to sex. Just a myth, okay? Those are not aphrodisiacs. of people like try to pretend that they are. That's just not a myth. Here's one, um, like uh, here's the myth that that um, somehow that sex is going to be better than the rapture. Now, before you judge me, and you're not around church folks much, here's like what most church folk that grew up—they're like, Lord, they prayed like saying, I know y'all prayed this. Lord, if you could just like I want you to re- I want you to return like the rapture. I want you coming back, but could you wait till I get married? I'm really close, <laughs> right? Like we somehow think that sex is better than the presence of God. That's a myth. Mm -hmm. That's that awkward laughter, right? (laughs) Um, Here's a myth that practice makes perfect, man. You practice basketball, you practice driving, and so you should just practice sex. It doesn't work that way. Um, Here's one, here's a a big one. We believe that sex builds trust. That's a myth. Here's another myth. Um, This is another kind of silly thing that Christians believe um, a lot of times that if I wait to have sex till I get married, God will reward me with reward sex. Like if I wait, then God owes me like, like this um, euphoria bliss honeymoon that's going to be epic and awesome. <laughs> Just, it doesn't work that way. And so we're going to look at a few myths tonight and we're going to see what God's word has to say about those myths. And so myth number one, if you're taking notes tonight, is that sex is god sex is god now we live in a sex saturated culture and so a lot of us um, maybe we don't like go to the altar of sex and worship and raise our hands to sex but for a lot of us in the house tonight we really uh, we define our lives around our sexuality and so we're in a culture where man if you are homosexual then that makes you like that's a, a defining thing for you and so it's it's really become the idol of your life because you've revolved everything around that or if you're transgender or if you're bisexual Or if you're, you know, you are a ladies' man, a playboy, or whatever you are, you kind of walk in this bravado of your sexuality, and that by by nature you've made sex a god in your life. But sex is is not god. We're in this hookup culture. I remember playing football. You got 150 young men uh, that come together, and you can imagine just the filth that happens in the locker room, right? Um, And so all the stories that are going out. I played football with this guy. We played D line together, and uh, and every Monday when we would show up, he would always try to brag about what he called victims from the weekend because somehow he he thought his bravado and his masculinity was determined by how, how many women he could hook up with that weekend, and he referred to them as victims. That there's a lot of women that maybe you're here tonight and you're a woman and, and you feel like that when you have sex, that's that moment that you get validated. And so you run after sexual experience after sexual experience because that's the only time that you hear him say you're beautiful. And, and you long to have this deep-seated security and so you think that the next sexual experience is going to give you that, that, that little bit of, of, of significance that you, that you crave. And a lot of us, we think that sex is God. There's some of us on the other end of the spectrum that we think that sex is gross. Like some of you, maybe you've grown up in a super fundamental cult, uh, culture or, or a climate, and you were told, like, true love waits, wear the purity ring, don't think sexual thoughts, don't think dirty thoughts, don't ever think about the opposite sex, don't think those sort of things, that's gross, you're dirty, you need to wash your mind, wash your hands, don't even think about all this stuff. And so you have this, this tainted picture. And so there's a lot of prudish people that are claiming the name of Christ, but they haven't read their bibles because the scripture and we're about to get into some of it is so explicit that it would make the prude blush and so sex is not god and sex is not gross but we see that god is given sex as a gift and so we find this to be true in god's book in genesis chapter one the first commandment that god gives humanity i love this is that he makes adam he makes eve and he says okay now be fruitful and multiply and that's just the church speak of saying hey Go do like I think Marvin Gaye said and get it on, okay? (laughs) Go be fruitful and multiply and then um, subdue the earth. And so God's first commandment to this married couple is to go have sex. And God was not mistaken by this. And we see in Genesis chapter 2, I love this, because God, he gets this couple married. And we see before the the wedding when when Adam meets his woman. And I love this because up until the point, uh, up until this point, the narrative has been Adam saying, um, God's taking uh, Adam to like the elephant. He's like, elephant. Uh, Taking him to like the duckbill platypus. And he's like, duckbill platypus platypus That's what we'll name it. Takes him to the giraffe. He's like slender giraffe, right? And so it's just like this simple, like one word saying for everything that he's seeing. And then God puts Adam to sleep, which is a metaphor for Adam actually dying. And then he forms out of the side of Adam this um, this thing that is called woman. And um, and when Adam first lays eyes on his bay what I call my woman, my blueberry and cocoa puffs, my lady, my sweet lips. When he first lays eyes on his girl, like my brother Buck out in a, a poem. You see if you have your actual Bible, you see that the, there's an indentation, a, an indention that happens in the, the line because it's trying, the author's telling us that Adam is speaking in a poetic language. And so when he sees Eve, he says, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so he's literally like busting out into, I've been dreaming of this. Life. I mean, he's just like this musical moment, this poetic moment that Eve draws this out of him and he says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked and this is incredible, they were both naked, which is always a good idea with your wife, they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. I could imagine like the Trinity, we believe in a, that God is a, a triune God, that he's three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I could imagine like the Trinity, like like the day before they were going to get ready to create this moment, I imagine like huddling together like, Jesus, what do you think we should do? Like, how should we um, make Adam? And then they're like, Holy Spirit, what about Eve? What do you think? How should we? And so they're like, okay, what if um, we get these parts and, and on this person, and we get these parts on this person, and we put these nerve endings in a high concentration in these parts, and we give them these organs that that their main purpose is just to to but to exist for procreation and for pleasure and we allow them to unite oneness and, and when that happens it's not just like this like touch uh, type thing but it's this celebration it's this euphoria bliss experience that they're going to have with one another and what if we do this and the, and God the father is like done let's do this like it's going to be awesome like the glory that we feel if there's some way that we can try to get them to experience this glory that we feel in our community let's let's do yes and so God like he creates everything that we know about our own sexuality it was his idea we see that God is uh, he's, he's he's the designer behind all of this and he officiates the first weddings like Adam meet Eve I saw that y'all just met I see that you like one another now let me tell you what's gonna happen you're gonna leave your mother and father you're gonna uh, you're gonna be joined together you're gonna cleave to one another you're gonna become one flesh he says now go be fruitful and multiply and the way that Adam and Eve were fruitful via the way that they got it on, the way that they had sex did not make God blush one bit. It was his design. He said, this is what you were made for and he made sex pleasurable and he made it fruitful that sex was designed for procreation so that you can have children, but it was also designed not just for that, but also for pleasure so that you can have fun with your spouse. And so I love that God designed sex. And we see later on in chapter, or excuse me, in the book of Deuteronomy, you can flip over a couple of books in Deuteronomy. And I love this because, like, God, not only does he design sex, but he encourages sex. Okay, he encourages this between a husband and a wife. And, like, there's some, like, can we just be honest? If you've been around church a little bit, there's some Old Testament laws that are just kind of shady. Can, can we just be honest right there? Like you know, like if your kid is disobedient, take him outside and stone him to death. Okay, that's just a little bit much, all right. That's taking spanking too far. Okay, um, or you know, just some weird, weird laws. Old I like this one. Okay, I, like I would like to bring the Old Testament back on this one. Okay, here's what it says: Deuteronomy 24: verse five that God encourages sex when a man has taken a new wife, which is a good thing. Matt, we're ex- excited for you and Kayla coming up soon. He says he's, you should try this, Matt. This is probably a good idea. When a man takes a new wife, shall not go out to war or be charged with any business, okay? So don't do anything, basically. But you shall be free at home for one year and bring, here we go, happiness to your wife whom he has taken, okay? You get a year <laughs> where well, you ain't doing nothing, but you're doing something, right? <laughs> and so, like, here, here's what I used to tell teenagers when I was doing student ministry. I'd be like, look, basically, let me just sum it up in this. Don't have sex till you get married, but when you get married, get some Gatorade, Red Bull, coffee, whatever you need to do, and make up for lost time, all right? And make them, make them call and complain at the hotel because you're having so much fun. God gave them a year off. Like I'm trying to cash in my sabbatical sometime soon, man. Oh, but God, he don't like sex. He don't, I mean, you know, he just designed it. He just encourages and then he excites it. If you turn over a few more books, you'll find the book of Song of Solomon, one of the most explicit books in the whole Bible. And so explicit that they wouldn't allow Jewish boys to read it because it was, it was, it's that kind of raunchy, that kind of um, insightful, if you will. And so it's the story of this young couple that fall in love, and then uh, we get to kind of journey with them, even journey with them through their honeymoon night. And so it's a really, really um, erotic book. And, and so I love this because uh, it says a couple things. It says, don't awaken love until it so desires. Okay, so it says, like, leave your sex asleep. Um, and then Because when it's, when it's time to wake sex up, you can't put her back to sleep or put him back to sleep, okay? So don't awaken or arouse love until it's time. And then it also says this, that God looks at the young couple, and he says, drink deep. You lovers and have your fill. And the thing that they're drinking deep in, let me just read you some of it. This is Song of Solomon 7 6 through 11. This is the man speaking to his wife. This is incredible. He says, I'm gonna try not to use hand motions. I'm just gonna to touch this right here. So, um, oh, 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 how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree. Now, time out real quick. That probably doesn't translate into our culture. You know, like you could use the first few lines, guys, but don't, don't be like, girl, you're like a palm tree. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, it translated in this culture. He says, you are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like grape clusters, and may the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. He's like, I'm trying to get drunk on you, girl. That's what he was saying. And then the woman's response. I love this because it's not, you know, oftentimes men we get you know accused of being the aggressive, but the woman she responds, this is beautiful. God is exciting sex, He is He is encouraging it, He's designed it, He is exciting it. And the woman says, She says, Yes, the wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lovers, and he claims me as his own. Come, my love. Let us go to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. And that's just part of it. (laughs) And so sex, God, is not this bland, black, white, just no color, no fun. But sex is one of these things that God is like, man, I created everything that you have ever thought of. I've created it, and I've created it for a purpose. And God wants you and me to have a vibrant sex life, but his way. Hot water is amazing as long as it's in the water heater. But when it gets out of control, it's destructive. And God is saying that sex, it's amazing when you do it my way. So this word chaste is an old Bible word, and it's not really a word we use a lot. I'm trying to bring chaste back, though, man. This word chaste is what God wants for you, not like a chastity belt, not that kind of chaste. But let me just define chaste for you real quick. Chaste is experiencing things, great things, godly things, experiencing things in the right way without offending God, your neighbor, or yourself. And so God, he says, I want you to experience these things, but in the right way where it doesn't offend Me, your neighbor, or yourself. That if your sex life doesn't bring you closer to God, then something's broken. Listen, if your sex life, if you cannot worship Jesus, I know this is weird to think about, but if you can't worship Jesus with your sex life, something's broken. And so God, he's saying that, man, sex is, it's not God, but I have created sex not to be gross, not to be glorified, but to be a gift for you to enjoy and experience. And the second myth is that sex is just physical. Sex is just physical. If you're taking notes, sex, it's just physical. But guys, come on, we know that it's more than just physical, man. Sex is powerful. Sex is one of these things that God has given us, and we know that it's more than just physical, and some of us have kind of reduced sex down to just an act, and our culture would say, well, you know, no strings attached, I have a weekend romp, I'm just going to hook up, I mean, no big deal, you know, I'm going to pride myself on not becoming emotionally involved in this relationship to show how, you know, feminine I am, or to show how masculine I am, and to show how autonomous I can be, but we know that sex... It affects everything. the, The way we know this is because, I mean, if anyone's ever been, and God bless you, and God help you, but if anyone has ever been sexually abused, that teenager sitting in my office crying because it clicked what happened when they were a child. And if it was just physical, then why does it hurt them so much? And, and you know this, if, if you've ever been around somebody that was raped or, or, or God, God help you, if that's you, that, that, that you know that there's, there's scars, there's something about sexual sin that, that, that infects everything about us, that sex is not just physical, that sex, it affects us holistically, that sexual abuse, it hurts deeply. And I think that we're all victims and we're all perpetrators of sexual abuse tonight. Not to downplay what that typically means, but let me define what abuse is. Abuse is defined as the misuse of something's intention. And so, like, let's just be honest. We're all young adults. The majority of us have abused sex in some way because we have misused sex according to its intention. And so, what do we do? I mean, like, what, how do we, how do we begin to create an opinion? How do we begin to make change in our life? I mean, what is what what does Jesus have to say about this? I mean, we've looked at some Old Testament things tonight, but what about Jesus? What about the author and perfecter of our faith? What does he have to say about this? He would just echo what Genesis said. You'll find Jesus, he says a lot of things that really aren't new. Um, He just kind of adds his completion to what was already being said in the Old Testament. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and in Matthew chapter 19, he says this, that he He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since there are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This word join that Jesus uses, it's building off of this idea that was in the Old Testament that when you join together with someone, you're you're literally tying your soul together. The Bible never uses this word intimate. But this is what Jesus was talking about, that when we have sex with somebody or we perform sexual acts with whatever, it is a form of seeing into someone else. It's into me see, intimacy, that Jesus is saying that this is us becoming one with that thing, that God's design. And his intention is not just a mere physical act of pleasure, momentary pleasure, but God, he, when He designed sex, I love this when you unpack the, the words that are in the scriptures, the word for uh, sex, like the sexual act in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's a, it's a very specific word. The word in the Old Testament is doed. Y'all say dode. The word is, watch your mouth. The word in the New Testament is eros. Y'all say eros. And when God spoke of doed and of Eros, he didn't have this like y'all physical weekend type thing. He says, no, no, Dode and Eros, it's not just sex that when the, the husband and the wife, when they come together, it's a, this amazing mingling of souls. That God's created these rhythms and all that we see, that there's this rhythm to our planet system, that we're rotating in rhythm around the sun in the what's called the Goldilocks zone, that we're not too hot, we're not too cold, we're just right, that there's these rhythms in our community where we orbit around one another, that there are these divine dances and rhythms that God has given in sex and sexuality is a dance between two souls. And so when my wife and I, when we're having sex, it's not just sex, it's a, it's a soul dance. It's way more. It's, it's giving ourselves completely over to one another that sex, the intention of sex is not just self-fulfillment, not self-actualization. But the intention for sex is that we would, um, we would not just do self-expression, but that we would have a self-donation that we would give of ourselves and we would be united And when we get sex out of its context, it's dangerous. C.S. Lewis says this, that when sex is without marriage, it's like tasting without swallowing and digesting. It's like getting part of its nutrients but not even allowing it to satisfy your soul. So sex is this really big idea, Paul um, he says a few things about sex in uh, one of his letters to the first Corinth to the Corinthians in the book One Corinthians. If you want to flip over a few more uh, chapters in your Bible, a few more pages, you can find the book of first corinthians and paul um, he says this, and some of you are like already like this, man Chad. this is kind of old school man i don 't know this is a little bit antiquated um, i don 't know uh, if you are naive newsflash this is the 21st century this is just what we do it 's okay we 're in a hookup shack up culture, I mean, come on, Chad, seriously, in the Bible it was written in a culture that probably was, you know, kind of like an Amish community or something that was really, you know, super fundamental, no fun, that sort of thing. But when you read the scriptures, you got to understand that God is speaking in a culture that Makes our sexual activity and our perversion kind of JV, I think. Like, there, um, when Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, there was um, a church building, a temple um, that was dedicated to a goddess of sex. And so people would go to church and that's how they would worship. Like, you know, that'd be weird, you know? Like, hey, why don't you come to church with me? No, hang on to your church, man. That's weird, man. <laughs> like, it's a little different. You know, we worship a little different, but come on, it's gonna be great. In this culture, it wasn't taboo for a man to have sex slaves. I mean, he could buy women at the market, and their sole purpose was to do whatever he wanted to. That that it wasn't taboo for a man to to buy a child at a market. That pedophilia, it wasn't looked down upon. That, That the more sex, the better in this culture. We're just bodies in this culture. It doesn't matter, and so we might as well indulge our bodies. And so when Paul writes what he's about to say to you guys, it was like, I mean, mind-blowing. It was just as radical back then as it is today, that the sexual climate of the day was, it was, like, it was terrible. I mean, it was egregious. It It was awful. And so we see when Paul is writing this, he's not writing from some, like, distant monastery where he's living with all men and they're wearing robes and they plant in the garden and they live together and share bread and that sort of thing. Paul's writing in a culture that's like, man, sex is everything. And he's saying, no, no, there's a better way. God, he designed you differently. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. He says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot one body with her, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And this word joined, you could circle that word. It's a different word than the word that Jesus used. That This idea that when he's joined together, it's this Greek word, um, I think the way you say it is uh, koleao, koleao. And it means to glue together, to cement, to fasten together. That sex's purpose is for uniting. It's for oneness. It's, it's not for self-expression, but it's for self-donation. It's for gluing that that what Paul is trying to say is that when you join together, harlot could be pornography. That's just kind of a, 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 a umbrella statement. It's not just prostitution, so don't think, oh, I'm not sleeping with prostitutes. I'm good. No, no. What he's saying is if you join your body sexually in any form or fashion, then you are guilty of this. He says, be careful. So I want you to imagine that what Paul's trying to say is he's like, man, your your sex life. This is a man right here. Okay? So. It's a man. So imagine this guy. You know, he's like, man, I'm gonna. I I am uh, just excited about meeting this lady. And uh, and so what happens is that we get hot water out of the water heater, and uh, and then we decide to do something foolish. And so we decide just to be a product of our culture. And what Paul is saying is that when you join together with somebody, you are you are gluing, you are adhering yourself to that person, okay? And then you become uh, united. All right, so you you become uh, one flesh. And and what he's trying to communicate is that you become one flesh. And what happens is that. It, That that when we become one flesh and then we try to separate, because this is what's happened in a lot of people's lives, you try to, man, you broke up, hard feelings, and then so you're like, Man, I just gotta get away from you, and then you're just a little bit torn. And God's saying that when you when you adhere your soul together with someone else or with something else, it's gonna tear you apart. And we know this physiologically that there's this there 's these endorphins that are released when we when we climax, it's this is endorphin. That some think it's dopamine, some think it's oxytocin, and both are great endorphins. We all love them a lot. And uh, but when we climax, those endorphins are released, and then these synapses happen in our brain what, over whatever we're viewing as we climax. And so imagine that in your brain there are these little pathways, these little connection roads that are that are um, that are syncing up, that are that are adhering to whatever you're viewing or or whoever you're viewing or whatever you're doing, and it's and it's creating these pathways so that you bond with that thing and so what paul is saying is that when you join with that person man you are getting glued to them and that some of us you know we we join to another person and so we're like this tape and then some of us we like to join with you know two dimensional objects and so we you know we we get uh, I don't think you know probably I don't know if, if you use magazines phone, whatever it is, but you have a two-dimensional object, and so you're joining to that thing, and you've been stuck on that thing, and you're like, I'm trying to break from that thing. And, and so, you know, you have that problem, ladies, and then, you know, the guys, we have that problem, and so, you know, you join to that thing, but then you separate, and you're like, oh, but but she's kind of cute, and you're like, oh, he's kind of cute, and then, and then you try to, you know, like join together, and it's just it's, it's just difficult. You'll never satisfy a porn addict. You can never compete with someone's harem. And some of us, we think, oh, well, you know, I'm not really into that, but I've had a few uh, encounters in my life, and the average person um, in here tonight, what studies tell us, is that you've had eight sexual partners. And so um, I've got six sexual partners on this one and six on this one. And so um, this is, these are Legos, um, so I've, I've kind of... Um, <laughs> Um, I kind of defamed these Legos, and so, uh, Ben, I'm sorry. When you get these back, they're going to be tainted. But um, anyway, and so what happens is that, you know, you, you've had your sexual experiences, and he's had his sexual experiences, and you're like, oh, you're really cute, and oh, I'll be anything you want. You just tell me what you want, and I'll be it. You know, and he's saying all the right things, and she's, you know, and then you. And, and you're not sticky anymore. What are you glued to? What is the thing that you're allowing your soul to adhere to? That everybody assumes the past, oh, it's just the past. I can just, you know, throw away the letters, burn the photos, erase all my Facebook, social media, Instagram, whatever. I can just erase all that. That's just the past. That's what you do with your last career. You can't just erase your sexual past. Because sexual sin, it's, it's unlike any other thing. And it doesn't work the, that way in the arena of romance and relationships. You can't just erase it. You can't just get over it. So why do we fight so hard to ignore the whispers of, you're going to Why do we fight those whispers? And Paul, he's warning his audience years ago. He's saying, it's sticky. It, it's, it's like gluing yourself. You become one. It's meant to hold two people together permanently. He's saying, it's It's sticky. That if you apply, remove, reapply, and re remove an adhesive, it begins to lose its adhesiveness. And it's as difficult as this may be for you to accept. Excuse me. The same thing happens to you sexually. That every time you have sex with a different partner, you apply, remove, then reapply. This powerful but somewhat fragile thing is destroyed or is compromised, and eventually your sexual experience will begin to lose its stickiness. This is why masturbation is so dangerous. This is why when we go to our two-dimensional objects and we stick ourselves to them, it's so dangerous because we're creating these experiences and these pathways in our brain to only be satisfied or only be glued to those things. This is why pornography is so dangerous. This is why sex outside of marriage with multiple people is so dangerous. This is why sexual experiences are so dangerous because they cause us to lose our stickiness. And when sex loses its stickiness, it loses its significance. When sex loses its stickiness, it loses its Significance. What are you glued to? What are you stuck to? Paul goes on and he gives this antidote in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says to flee sexual immorality. And I love that he says flee sexual immorality. And I would think that, you know, if you grew up in church, that you, you've probably been shamed before by some jack wagon youth pastor. And he's like, you, you shouldn't have sex because you don't want gonorrhea, do you? <laughs> no. Is that a thing? I need to go wash my hands. You know, you like you don't you like and, and, they, and so you would think that Paul's like flee sexual morality because you don't want to get pregnant, do you? And then you know, then in the life, so you know, you you, you get this guilt and this shame. But Paul's saying like he he doesn't come at this approach with this. He says they flee sexual morality. And he says flee it because every sin that a man does outside his body, excuse me, every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That Paul is telling us that sin violates our own body. And that if we ignore God's purpose for sex, then we rip sex out of its divine design. We hurt ourselves. That some think that sex is is self actualization, but it's really self deprecation. Don't hurt yourself, trust the designer. Sexual sin, it robs you of your own future. It undermines your future intimacy. Sexual sin, it creates an obstacle to honesty. If the sin, uh, excuse me, it's sexual sin that will be be the most tempted for us to hide, that that sexual sin is the sin we'll most likely try to smuggle into future relationships, and eventually it equates with self-inflicted pain. And God is teaching us that sex is for marriage, not because he's against you or trying to rob you but he's teaching that sex is for marriage because he is for you and sex when it gets outside of its confounds it's very dangerous that sex it has this power to blind us does it not like this power to blind us to relational deficiencies right like when we introduce sex into the relationship, we begin to be blinded to to the things that maybe we would not see unless we were sober from sexual encounters, and and so it's so important that we don't use sex as a tool to test relational compatibility, but that we use sex um, as a as the the culmination of relational security in the confines of marriage that sex is not a tool for us to use to figure out whether or not we're compatible. Because sexual sin is unlike any other sin. And so um, let me just challenge you with this. Uh, And the, the challenge is maybe you're in a relationship tonight. Maybe you're living with each other. Maybe you're sexually active. Maybe you're in a relationship with pornography. Maybe, I don't know, whatever kind of sexual issue you got up in here tonight, I just want to challenge you to do a sex fast. A sex fast, not have sex fast, but a sex fast, okay? A fast is like spiritual speak, it's church speak for you, don't do it, okay? And so sex fast, sex, fast, okay. So you are gonna stop having sex. I'm gonna challenge you for 90 days. And some of you are like, you're so convinced that you're with Mr. Wright. Stop having sex for 90 days and see if he still loves you for you. Some of you are convinced that you're with Miss Wright. You wanna build your life together. Stop having sex for 90 days. And allow that sobriety to bring perspicuity or clarity to your relationship. If you're in a relationship with pornography or some other weird sexual thing, stop for 90 days. Just see what it does. And listen, you're going to need help if you're going to make it 90 days. You're going to need community. You're going to need a band of brothers or a band of sisters around you. But try it, sex fast, 90 days, see what happens. I want to invite the band to take the stage as we kind of finish. The last truth I want to tell you about tonight is, is that there's this myth that I don't want to tell my story. I don't want to tell my story. And guys, you may, you may have brought in here a story that you're not proud of. Most of us have. Most, there's no perfect people in the place tonight. And sexual sin in our culture for most people has tainted them in some form or fashion. And some of you are here and you're like, I don't want to tell my story. I'm kind of I'm just embarrassed. And oftentimes a message like this, man, it provokes guilt and shame. And, or sometimes it will provoke anger. Or, or some of you are here and like, you just disagree with me. And it's okay. It's a safe place to disagree. But I want to ask you this. What story do you want to tell when you're... Love story is just a story. What story do you want to tell? See, we know that romance is fueled by exclusivity. And when you choose to step into a relationship that is exclusive, that's where romance is found. And God and we want the best for you. Like none of, none of you girls would, would go for a guy that says, hey, I just want to love you in my 20s really well. Right? Right? Guys, none of you girls would be like, look, like, bro, you are you are a hunk, and your roommate's pretty good looking too. Could we just work that out? We just like John Legend's song, All of Me would have never been good if it was part of me, love some of you, (laughs) some of your curves and some of your edges. Sometimes you're imperfect and stuff. (laughs) No, we want romance, we want a story. It is wonderful, but what story are you telling? And tonight we have a decision to respond to the information that we have heard. And you can change your story tonight. That today will be a new chapter in your story tomorrow. And that you get to decide your way forward. What story do you want to tell? In 3 years what story do you want to tell? You get to decide that the past decisions have left you with regret and guilt and shame. You probably don't want that anymore. Change your story. You get to decide that it's that it's not That it's not going to be compelling enough unless you get a vision for what God wants for you. That people don't give up what they're currently doing until they're convinced that what they're currently doing is an obstacle to where or who they want to be. That people change when they have a picture of a preferred future. That no matter how bad you feel about your past, regardless of the consequences associated with your behavior, ain't nothing going to change until you decide what story you want to tell in two or three years. If you don't decide, your story will continue to go on the way that it has. Feeling bad rarely results in doing better. Knowing better and doing better are two different things. What story do you want to tell? I want to invite everybody just to bow your head and just focus just for a minute. We've, we've been running for a while. Let me just, I just want to ask you this one last question. What story do you want to tell? I think there's two options we can fall into tonight. One option is is three years from now, I want you to think about your three year from now self. Some of you that's 23, some of you that's 33, and somewhere in between, I don't know where you're at, but what is the story you want to tell in three years? Uh, There was a a season of my life when I decided that I wanted to tell a new story, and I, I wanted to tell a new story, and so I began to battle against certain things, and God began to give me victory, so that when I entered a relationship with my now wife, I could say, This is a new story. There's this phrase on the wall of my office over Josiah's desk that says WTB, because when we were roommates together in college, we began to adopt this phrase, Win the battle, because we wanted to tell a new story. What story do you want to tell? Two options. You decide three years from now. I heard some information and I ran back like a dog to vomit my porn addiction, my sexual relationship, my weekend hookup, my romance desire, and my 50 shades of whatever. And my story just continued on and I'm not proud of it. Or you can decide tonight. Your destiny is based upon your decision tonight. You can decide, and you can say, no more. I'm going to press against the current of our culture, and I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to win the battle. I'm going to get a band of brothers around me or a band of sisters around me, and I'm going to fight for purity because purity paves the path to relational intimacy. Intimacy. And you can three years from now go, man, there was some information I heard on July 11th, Sex of the Summer. Kind of a weird thing, but I heard this information and I decided that I'm going to change. What story do you want to tell? Lord Jesus, we give you these next few moments, these moments of decision. God, I pray that you would help us to decide with conviction and with permanence the story that you would have us unfold in our lives. That you want to allow our lives to match up in this grand history of stories that you're telling. Help us to choose to honor you with this fragile but powerful part of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, Never known a lives never known a life like you we call this thing paradigm because we believe that life change happens when you have a paradigm shift it's a change from the inside out and so what you've heard tonight if if you are trying to make changes apart from the gospel, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. We would invite you to a different way. That you would have a paradigm shift. That you would see that Jesus loves you so much so that He gave Himself for you by dying on a cross, and that He offers you power to overcome the sin that may be dominating your life through Him raising from the grave. And we believe that once you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you confess your mouth with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be what we call saved. You'll be born again, that you'll have a new heart and you'll have a paradigm shift. There'll be a new way of doing life from the inside out. And so tonight, here in a minute, we'll have some of our young adults wearing red shirts up here. And if you don't know Jesus I would invite you to come start a relationship with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to change from the inside out. And they can explain to you more about that. Or some of you, maybe you've been tracking with the Lord for some time, but you're just in a season of defeat sexually. Colossians 2.6 says, just as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. And we receive Jesus Christ by his grace through faith. And so some of you need to come and you need to pray with one of these men or women and you just need to, by faith, ask God for healing in your life, for victory in your life. But faith without action is dead. And so I want to invite you to sign up for community group, for Group Connect at the Next Steps desk and get in with a band of brothers so that you can win the battle like Josiah and I decided 10 or more years ago. And fight! Fight! Together, you be faithful to respond to whatever God is impressing upon your heart. And let's show the world that God is a God that designs sex, (laughs) that he encourages it and he excites it his way. You guys have a great week. We love you guys. Go and serve the Lord.